Hey, I'm glad that you're here today and uh, excited uh, to be with you and um, to open God's word with you. Um, We're going to be in a new series here for the next four weeks called Old School. We're going old school. We're going to Old Testament school is what we're doing. And we're going to look at the Old Testament and we're going to work our way through it. And uh, my goal here over the next four weeks, are you ready? Because buckle up. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to leave after this next month with an idea of the main plot line of the Old Testament. Do you think we can accomplish that? Well, some of you aren't so sure. Come on, help me out here, because I'm not so sure either. Can we accomplish that? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to be looking at uh, specifically God's plan. We're going to start today in the book of Genesis. That's really the only place we're going to be. And uh, we're going to work our way through Genesis today. Are you ready? Tell you what, let me pray because it's a big task. And then we're going to try to equip you with a plot line so that you know where everything kind of fits in the Old Testament. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you for your grace to us through him and your goodness. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help me today, help me uh, bring my thoughts together and communicate your truth in a succinct way. And might it be something that's encouraging to us. For some, Lord, we, we've reviewed this many times and, and we know it inside out. But for others, uh, they're new to, to, to faith in you. They're new to your word. And might this be uh, an encouragement then to them to know the truth. And for those of us who do a, a refresher that we would trust you even more because of your sovereignty and your grace and your goodness. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy as servants, their works and effects. Uh, would you instead speak through and to me today? Teach us, I pray, Jesus. And uh, make us more like you today before we leave. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, before we even dive into this, we're going to be doing this over the the next four weeks. And really this whole month, we're just going to have a focus on the Old Testament. Because Doctrine Wednesday starts up again on Wednesday. And Pastor Dan is going to be teaching on Wednesday night. And uh, he's going to be teaching through, uh, he's a certified trainer with an organization called Walk Through the Bible. And Wednesday night is going to be a lot of fun. So if you don't have any plans Wednesday night, some of you have been through it already. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? And uh, come Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m., and you'll leave even just Wednesday night with a plot line of the Old Testament. And then uh, he's going to set the stage on some of that, and we'll unpack it more throughout the coming weeks. But I'm telling you, come. And, and students, you guys should come too. It's a good time. You're going to get, you're, you're going to learn something. I guarantee it. And you're going to be up and moving around. It's, and you're not going to, I mean, you can take some notes, but you're going to be moving and there'll be actions. There'll be, those of you who like actions, it's going to be a lot of fun. I really hope that you make plans to join us Wednesday night. Remember we gather, grow, go. There's a grow opportunity for you. Wednesday night, 6.30 PM. Hope you can make it here. Well, over the next few weeks, Uh, We're going to be doing the same thing in a a little lengthier, but still pretty quick format, looking at the Old Testament storyline in Scripture. And let me see if you know how it begins. Do you know how the Bible begins? You know the first, I bet you could probably tell me the first four words. What are they? And what's the fourth one? God. In the beginning, God. Right? Is that four words? Some of you are counting. Make sure, okay, make sure I can count. In the beginning, God, loved ones, that's where it all 
begins. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be flipping around a little bit today. But that's where we're going to start, is in the beginning, God. You ever, you ever wonder how things got started, how it began? Well, here's your answer. It begins with a person, with God. He's eternal. He's been here forever. That's hard to get your mind around. It's hard to get my mind around because I'm finite. I have a start date. So do you. And to think that God just always is and always has been and always will be unchanging forever is amazing. And one of the things that's unique about God is he's Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. He's eternally loving. He's eternally in relationship with himself. And so I believe really in in creation, he's expressing his Love. He's expressing his nature because the greatest thing that he could do then is to share himself with others who could worship him and enjoy him. And so he creates everything. And in the beginning, God creates everything. And, you know, imagine before he created time and space and all of these things, there was nothing. Get your mind around that. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, something. And do you know how he created it? He spoke It happened, and he declared it good. That's the pattern each day. Day one, he spoke, let there be light. There was light. He called it good. Every day for six days, he speaks. I mean, how many of you, have you ever, uh, imagine the power of God. How many of you have ever just spoke and something popped up? You're sitting on the couch yesterday watching football, and you're like, I'm kind of hungry. Doritos. (laughs) Did it happen? No, only unless you have a kid who's running errands for you back and forth to the cupboard, right? Then you're a tyrant of a dad. I hope you're not. But think about that. He just spoke and it was there. The closest I can do that due to that is on a cold morning in the winter and I can say fog and it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> but God spoke everything into existence. Everything. There was nothing and then he spoke and it happened and he called it good. And he goes through each day and if you would uh, look at the way he creates on the first three days, he He really has these kind of forming commands. And sometimes I'll teach it like this, that really when when God creates stuff, it's kind of like the way Bob Ross paints a painting. Bob Ross is imaging the Lord when he's painting. Did you know that? The guy with the fro on PBS from the 70s. And he he paints and he he puts this background up and, and there's the light and it's all kind of a blur. And then all of a sudden, the next, he's just filling it in with different things. He's... He's filling things and then he's forming and filling in detail. And that's how God kind of works. These first three days, he he kind of paints this big canvas of light and and, and all those things. You can read through it. And then on the next three days, he kind of fills in the details of each of those right in order. Until finally on the sixth day, the crowning point of his creation comes into being. Do you know what it is? It's us. Yeah, it's humanity. Humanity is the only thing in all of God's creation that the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that God created us in his image. Look at that. So God created man, meaning mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. You're the most lovely thing that he's made. He takes the most delight in you and I over everything else he's created. And imagine how beautiful everything else is that he's created. You ever stand outside and look at the stars and look up at the galaxies or 
Uh, you see the eclipse a couple of weeks ago and you just go, wow, that's amazing that God did that. And God says, you know what's more amazing? That I created you. And I stamped my image on you. And you're like me in some way, unlike anything else in all of creation. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? See, it says that, if you don't believe me, it's right there in the text. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And in verse 26, before that, I just read 27. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God puts, puts us in a place of honor over everything else in creation to care for it and to rule over it and to reign and to work it. But we're not God. We're still humble. We're underneath him, right? But that's our place at the pinnacle of his creation. And at the end of this, see, every day God had said it's good. But at the end of this day, do you know what he says? It's very good. He looked at all that he had made and he declared it to be very good. Now imagine what that was like in those days. I know maybe you've, met, maybe you've imagined this before, but it's always good to go back and remember God's original plan. There was no sin. There were no wrong notes on the worship team. The guy leading always remembered to have his capo on the right fret. There was, uh, there was perfect harmony. There had never been shame. Do you carry shame around? There had never been shame. Nobody even knew what that felt like. God walked in the garden with them. He was among them. And it was perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, okay, in the beginning, I get it. God created, yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's great. And it was very good. And everything was perfect. I get it. But um, what happened? Because <laughs> sometimes, oftentimes, actually, people look at that and they read those first couple chapters of Genesis and they go, wow, what a fairy tale. This doesn't have any relevance to my life. I mean, that's not how life is today. I have heartache. I have sickness. I have pain. I have shame. I'm, I'm messed up. <laughs> and my family's messed up. So how, how, does, how does that work? Well, see, we've talked about the beginning, but then there's also a mess that happened <laughs> that we live in right now. And that mess starts in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden and life's been good. And we don't know how long they've been in the garden up until this point. But, but it's been really, really good. And uh, it tells us in chapter 3, Moses writes, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Hmm. And he, the serpent, he said to the woman, Now... Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, I kind of skipped that part, didn't I? God created everything perfect, and he gave them free reign over the entire garden. And again, not like the garden in your backyard, but like Yellowstone, like a national park garden. And he says, rule and reign. It's all yours. Enjoy it. Uh, care for it. Build it. Um, but you can, there, I only have one rule. <laughs> you can't eat from this tree in the middle. If, if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. As soon as, when you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. And the enemy comes along and he says um, to the woman, did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what, tell me, did, is that what God said, yes or no? No, it's no, not what God said. See, what you're going to find out is the enemy 
Satan, we find out in Revelation that this serpent, Revelation tells us that uh, Satan, that ancient serpent, that this is the enemy of our souls. And, and what you're going to find out is he's always trying to undo and reverse what God has put in order. It, it's like a blanket with a loose thread. You know, my, my grandma used to knit afghans for us. And if she didn't have it quite done and you pulled on the thread before there was a knot, what happened? It all came undone. But that was fun, just kind of pulling that thread. And... But, but really, that's what, that's what Satan's up to. See, we're not given the account exactly. There's very few verses that talk about the origin of Satan and where he came from, other than the fact that at one point, before Genesis 3, he was an angel. And uh, he had pride where he wanted to put himself in the place of God. And his pride led to his downfall. And because of his downfall, a third of the heavenly host came down with him and became demons. Now, I don't know all the details of how that happened or why that happened. Um, And you know what? I have to be okay with that because God's word doesn't make a mistake by not giving me all those details. I just trust it by faith because I know it to be true. Amen? But in any case, it happened. And here he is now trying uh, to, to find that place. He wants to be God. He wants to, to, to push him off the throne and take the throne himself. And so he's pulling that string, trying to undo everything God did. And look at it. He reverses exactly what God said. He said, uh, did God really say you, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? It's the exact opposite of what he said. He said, you can't eat from one tree. You can eat from all of them, just not one. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, oh, you won't die. You will surely not die. Again, he's undoing what God put in order. He's saying the opposite. See, here's the deal. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And you're like, oh, come on, Eve. Why'd you do that? We expect like right away for her to die next, don't we? And, and I've heard sometimes, jokingly, I hope, people go, man, that woman, if it wasn't for the woman... Except, you know what? Look who's standing right next to her and played the coward. See, uh, then she turned and gave some to her husband who was with her. (laughs) I think he may be more to blame than she is. And he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened. Now imagine that. Life had been perfect. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with one another. And suddenly you sin and, whoa, (laughs) a whole new experience, a whole new world. You start to feel, what what is this shame? What what is this? This filth that I feel about my, what is that? Never felt before, never existed before in humanity. And the eyes of both were open. They knew they were naked and They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. It's just this desire to hide and not be known. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord 
of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where he was? No. But he wants him to come back. It's like, well, it's kind of a, what have you done? Where are you? And he said, he said, well, I I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said to him, who who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, here comes the blame game. Well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. So then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman says, the serpent gave it to me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, kind of, did snakes have legs before this? I don't know, maybe. But they don't now. And they crawl on the ground because of the curse. And verse 15, look, look though, what did God say would happen when they ate of the fruit of the tree? They would die. Surely they would die. But notice, God doesn't, he shows grace right away. He doesn't kill him right away like he could have. He shows grace. And in fact, he steps in immediately with a plan to fix the mess. He doesn't delay. He says, you know what? You made a mess. I'm going to fix it. And he begins by telling the serpent his plan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Ultimately, he's looking forward to Jesus. He will bruise your head, or he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now tell me, which is worse? Uh, Have your head crushed or your heel crushed? Head is deadly, isn't it? And he says, listen, the offspring of that woman one day, Satan, will crush you. Will crush you and put an end to your wickedness. And God initiates a plan. This is the theological term here, if you want to get nerdy, is the proto evangelium. It's the first gospel. It's the first time the gospel shows up in Scripture. It's the first promise of God fixing everything and of hope. And now what you're going to find out, see, he goes back through then and he, he works his way back up to the woman. Uh, there's, there's a curse now because of their sin. I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. Uh, There'll be uh, no rest at times at home. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called the wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God's grace is abundant even in their sin. One, he doesn't kill them. Two, he promises a fix. Three, uh, there's a sacrifice immediately. Now again, imagine the horror to them. They'd never heard shrieks of death of an animal. They hear that for the first time and blood is shed and, and God provides for them clothing to cover them because of a sacrifice. There'd be a sacrifice later in Jesus on the cross where we would be clothed with righteousness and our sin would be covered over never to be known again one day. 
And, and, and God is providing a fix and showing grace. And it initiates, we've seen the beginning, we've seen the mess, and it initiates the plan. Did you know God had a plan? He has a plan to fix this mess, to fix you, to fix me. And it all begins back here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, with this first promise of hope of the gospel. Now, after they sinned, everything became messed up, right? You get to chapter 4 of Genesis, and there's sibling rivalry to the point that Cain kills his brother Abel. I fought with my brothers. I told them I would kill them a few times, but I never followed through. Yet Cain and Abel, that's what happens. And not only this, but you get to chapter 5, and maybe look at chapter 5. Look at it for a second, because there's all these genealogies of people. But look what happens to them. These are all the effects of the fall, of their sin. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, maybe you've read through this before and you just thought, man, this is a long list and these people lived a long time. But did you notice this? Look, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth, verse 4, were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days, of Adam, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he what? Died. Okay, let's look at his son, Seth. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. And Enosh uh, lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he And everyone, over and over, other than one guy... Who walked with the Lord and he plucked him out. Uh, Enoch, in verse 24, walked with God and he was not, for God took him. But everyone else, uh, he lived and then he died. God showed grace to them that they didn't die immediately, but eventually they still died. And in chapter 5, you see uh, what, what God said is really happening. Because of sin, there's death. And then in chapter 6, things just continually get worse and worse because of sin. And for those who would contend that, no, there's goodness in the heart of man, go read Genesis chapters 5 and 6, and 6 and following. That wickedness just increased. It didn't decrease because of our goodness. It increased because of our wickedness. And it got to the point where God said, you know what? Let's just, I'm going to carry out my plan. I'm going to fix this, but... Uh, let's just, let's pull off the weeds here and let's start over. And uh, he chose a guy by the name of Noah. And Noah, in chapter 6, verse 8, uh, says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found a grace from the Lord. That's that same word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I, you know, I remember seeing the flannel graph and everything in Sunday school of the big ark and the rainbow and Noah And what was the reason that God saved Noah? Do you remember? It was because Noah was so righteous and he walked with the Lord, right? He was such a good guy that God saved him. So be a good guy. It misses the fact that that verse of Noah walking with God doesn't come until verse 9, or verse 10, verse 9, excuse me. And in verse 8, prior to that, God showed him grace and favor. So God showed him favor and then he walked with the Lord. He showed him grace, and then gave, made, him a new, made him new, and he walked with him. It's not because of anything that Noah did. Yeah, Noah walked with God, and that's a great thing, and the Lord blessed that. But it all began in verse 8 with God showing Noah grace. 
He's the one providing the fix. Do you see it? And then he tells Noah, he says, here's what's going to happen. The whole earth is going to be flooded. Now, I don't know all the details, but there's some people who are a lot smarter than me that claim during this time, and I think it's a good argument, that uh, it had never rained, that there was a canopy above the earth. And it's based on on Genesis 1 and 2, and uh, I'm not going to get into all that, but that it had never rained until this point. There were waters above and waters below. And that's part of why people lived so long. And uh, in in Genesis 5, and God tells Noah, hey, Noah, it's going to rain, build a boat because I'm going to wipe everything out. I'm going to start over with your family. And Noah says, okay, I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to act on it. Even though I don't know what rain is, I've never seen this happen. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to build a boat. And it takes him over a hundred years to build this boat. And it's huge. And imagine the ridicule of all the people around him, all of Noah's buddies. What are you building, Noah? A boat, a boat in the middle of, of land. Why do you want a boat? Because it's going to rain. What? What's rain? Well, the rain, it's, all the water is going to fall from the sky and flood the earth. <laughs> That's a good one, Noah. But Noah believed the Lord. God had showed him favor and then he walked with him and he trusted him and he builds the ark. And sure enough, hundred and some years later, it begins to rain. And God rescues Noah and his family while everyone else was left to perish because of their sin. Which would have been a pretty frightening thing to experience, I think, if you're Noah on the boat and you'd hear everyone else perishing. Well, Noah's saved. And after 40 days and 40 nights of rain and then almost a year of time in the ark, the ark uh, makes landfall at a place called Mount Ararat. And he gets out and uh, they begin to repopulate the earth. In fact, the command that God gives Noah is the same one that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, now go out, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so they began and they start over and it's a whole new world again now. And um, maybe there's this hope, you know, uh, if we just start over with, with one righteous man, then everyone after that might, you know, might be good. Someone who walked with God, maybe everyone else will, but you'll find out that everybody else continued in their wickedness because of the sin in their heart. And they get to this point in Genesis chapter 11, there's the Tower of Babel. Have you heard of that? And at the Tower of Babel, God had told Noah and his descendants, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But instead they said, you know what? We're going to be fruitful and multiply, but we're going to stay right here. And they build this tower to build a name for themselves. And uh, God doesn't like that because it's not about us. It's all about him. And uh, so he confuses their languages. And the nations scatter around the earth. He's like, listen, if you're not going to obey, I'm going to make this happen myself. And so the nations scatter all around the world. And you get to Genesis chapter 12. And now we see God's plan more specifically in motion with a guy by the name of Abraham. Have you heard of Abraham? See, God's working. Uh, He made a promise in the garden. I'm going to fix this mess. I'm going to crush his head with with the offspring of Eve, with with a savior. And he wipes everything out and starts with Noah. And then he goes for a while again, and he chooses this time a family. And it begins with a guy named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he makes, makes Abraham some promises. The Lord said to Abram, his name was still Abram at this point, which means uh, exalted father. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Abram is an old man at this point. Did you know that? Likely in his 70s. And God says, uh, pick up everything you have, everything you've known. Leave your home, leave your kindred, leave your family and go. Okay, God, where do you want me to go? Don't worry about that. Just go. I'll show you. Now, what would you do? I'm 39. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I can't imagine even as I'm uh, older and I don't maybe have the energy that I had before. And I've been here forever and this is home. And why, God, why go? Why? But what does he do? He goes. God's working his plan. And Abram goes and he, he travels from the land of Ur, eventually, which is, um, I don't know if they just couldn't think of a better name. They're like, where are you from? Ur. Okay, Ur. Cool. Good town. And he works his way, which is down in the Persian Gulf, works his way up around and down uh, to Israel. And God made a, a pretty amazing promise to Abram in chapter 12 and then again in chapter 15 and 17. He said, I'm going uh, to make your name great. Uh, people uh, this church in the middle of cornfields in 2017 in northern Indiana are going to be talking about you, Abram. I'm going to make your name great. And in fact, I'm going to uh, create a multitude of nations are going to come from you. I remember how I, I told you Abraham's already older and advanced in years. And he still has no children. But he believed the Lord. In fact, we find out in chapter 15, not only did he believe him, but uh, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness, that he simply believed God's word. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. And I'm going to protect you with blessing. And, and God uh, creates a covenant, uh, strikes a covenant with Abram. And you can read about it in Genesis chapter 15. And a long story short, here's what happens is God tells, uh, tells Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Uh, be prepared for it. So Abram gathers different animals, and he takes them. And if you read it, and you, I don't know about you, I remember the first time I read this when I was young, I thought, what in the world is going on? Because he took the animals, and he split them down the middle and flayed them open on the ground. Sounds strange, doesn't it? I've never seen anybody do that on purpose. And it doesn't, and then he... Or not on purpose for that matter. I don't know why I said on purpose. But he did it. And, and, and then uh, he waited for God. And he drove away the flies and the birds of prey that would come. And eventually that evening the Lord comes. And he, he, he reiterates his covenant with Abram. That he's going to make him into a father of a multitude. Gives him a new name. He walks down the center of this path between the animals. And what was happening here is he was cutting a covenant with Abram. And this, was, this would have been commonplace in that day. For you and I, you buy a house and you sign your name on 5,000 pieces of paper, right? You just wish you had a stamp. <laughs> By the time you're done, your wrist is cramping up. Well, on this day, you wouldn't sign a contract, which could be broken. You would cut a covenant, which was unbreakable. And you would gather all of uh, your friends with you on this side and witnesses from the other side of the covenant. And you'd take these animals, you'd split them open, and then you'd walk down the middle of them. And you'd say, here's our covenant. Here's, what, here's the promises of the covenant that I'm initiating with this person. And so I'm going to walk through first. And if I break my end of the covenant, essentially what you're saying is, let what happened to these animals happen to me. 
Probably keep your word a lot more if that was still the case, wouldn't you? And then the next person in the covenant, they would walk through and say the, essentially say the same thing. Kind of paint with a broad brush here, but that's what's happening. Well, guess what? When God makes his covenant with Abraham, with Abram, the only person who goes down the path of the animals is God. In other words, he says, I'm guaranteeing all of it, Abram. I'm guaranteeing my part and your part. It's going to happen. Your name's going to be great. A great nation is going to come from you. I'm going to keep my promise through you. Your people are going to be given a great land. And God says, I am the Lord. I'm the one who's going to make this happen. Abram, it has nothing to do with you. It's not on you. It's all on me. He's the only one who walks down the path in Genesis 15. And now God has made this covenant that he's going to keep. And all of this is building on that promise in Genesis 3.15 where where God is going to fix it. (laughs) He's going to fix the mess we live in. Isn't that good news? And so uh, Abram, it it turns out, he ends up becoming 100 years old, 99 years old. And uh, I think it's Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis chapter 17, by this point, you know, it's like it's 25 years later from the first promise and about... And uh, prior, about 13 years prior to this, Abram and his wife, Sarah, um, Sarai, then later Sarah, she said, you know, I, I don't know if God's going to really keep his promise. It's been 13, 14, 15 years. Uh, maybe his intent is for you to sleep with my maidservant and have a child with her, and then that'll be our child, and God will bless him. And so he sins. He doesn't trust the Lord because God said it was, it would, no, it would be with your wife Sarai, it'd be with, through Sarah. And so he goes and he sleeps with a woman by the name of Hagar. She conceives, gives birth to a son by the name of Ishmael, whom, by the way, uh, the Lord blessed and said, I love Ishmael. The Muslim people come from him, but they too need a savior. And it's only one savior in Jesus. And he says, but my promise isn't through Ishmael. I love him. I'm going to make, make him into a big nation, but but my promise, Abram, you're going to have a son with your wife, Sarai. And he was 99 years old when this happened. Think about that. I don't even, I only can count like three or four people I know who live to be 99. And I, I, don't, I didn't see him having kids anytime soon. God tells Abraham, no, you're, it's going to happen. And Abraham, Abraham, you know what he does? He laughed just like some of you did. No way. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, and God says, okay, well, I'll tell you what, it is going to happen because I'm going to make it happen. And just to remind you that I'm the one doing this, you're going to call his name Isaac, which just means laughter. So that every time you call to your son, hey, Isaac, you'll remember you laughed at me. And Sarah laughed too. Laughter. Oh, yeah. That, man, God's good. And God does. He gives him a son. His name is Isaac. And he's going to keep that promise to uh, have a multitude of people. And his offspring is going to come through this line, through Isaac now, uh, to save everyone, to fix everyone who would trust Jesus, and to fix what was messed up in Genesis 3.15. And Isaac has a couple sons, Jacob and Esau. And they come out, major sibling rivalry, fighting from the womb. And Jacob turns out to be quite the deceiver. He was younger, but he still deceived his way into getting the birthright. And God even uses this deceiver as someone whom he's going to keep his promise to Abram. 
through and fix, and his promise to fix everything back in Genesis 3.15. So are you tracking it with me so far? Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve sinned. You and I sinned. But God said right in the midst of their sin, he said, I'm going to provide a fix. This isn't over. My plan will not be thwarted. He says, from her offspring is going to come a savior. And you move forward, and then it's Noah. And then from Noah, he he chooses a man and his family by the name of Abraham. And Abraham, when it looks like it's never going to happen, he's 100 years old. He has a son named Isaac. And, And Genesis chapter 22, by the way, I think this is one of the things to study in your 110 group this week. Uh, then God tells Abraham to, to trust, hey, sacrifice your son Isaac. And I, I'd encourage you to read through the story of Isaac and make parallels between Isaac going up to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed, uh, which is Jerusalem, by the way, and, and Jesus going up Jerusalem in Jerusalem to be sacrificed for you and I. But, but God intervenes. He provides a sacrifice in place of Isaac, just like Jesus is a sacrifice in place of us. And from Abraham to Isaac and then his son Jacob. And Jacob, who's a deceiver, has 12 sons. And this is going to be the nation of Israel. In fact, Jacob wrestled with God for uh, a long time, but specifically one night where um, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord, who I believe is Jesus, and um, gets his hip knocked out of place. And he walks with a limp then for the rest of his life. And... um, God gives him a new name. Sometimes God has to wrestle us and put us in a headlock and beat us up a little bit in a certain sense to get our attention to trust him, doesn't he? And I think there's a lot of us here we could say we speak, we've, we've lived that. And um, that was Jacob, and God gave him a new identity, a new name, Israel. And his 12 sons then become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God's going to keep his promise through a guy by the name of Judah, one of his sons. And there's another son, though, his favored son. We don't have time to go into all the detail, but just know this is the, this is the path in which God's promise is coming. Uh, there was another son by the name of Joseph. And Joseph, we find out, was, uh, was Jacob's favorite son. He played favorites with Joseph. He gave him a coat, it says, of many colors, which may just mean a, a coat with long sleeves. We're not quite sure. But, but a coat of many colors, and his brothers despised him for it. And then Joseph would have dreams like, uh, hey, guys, I had a dream. And in this dream, we were all out in the field and we cut down wheat and uh, my sheep stood in the middle and all of yours bowed down to mine. Now, if you've been in a family with brothers, you know about how well that would go over. Hey, guys, I had this dream that all of you are going to bow down to me. Really? And they start calling him, yeah, that dreamer. And there's incredible anxiety. And there's one of his brothers by the name of Judah comes up with this plan. Let's kill him. In fact, uh, then they see some traitors coming. Well, let's not, somebody chimes in. Let's, Reuben did. He said, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. And they throw him in a well. They were going to leave him for dead. Instead, they sell him into slavery. And this guy named Judah was the guy who initiated it. Can you imagine just selling your brother into slavery? And then lying to your dad that he was killed by wild animals? We joke about doing that sometimes. I'll sell you my kids. But I mean, this, this actually happened. This is the family God chose to fix everything through. It's a big mess. Total dysfunction. But God's plan won't be thwarted. In fact, if you want to take the dysfunction further... Uh, 
Judah, before we come back to Joseph, Judah later uh, would have three sons. And his first son would get married to this woman named Tamar. And uh, she she wouldn't conceive uh, his son. He he was wicked. He died. And the next one uh, came in and and married her as well to to give a son to uh, his his brother who had passed. But he, he wouldn't let her get pregnant. And so then God killed him. And now Judah has one son left. And this son, he, he promises to Tamar, when he's old enough, I'll give him to you so that you can have a son. But he never does. He goes back on his word. And Tamar uh, uh, is bitter and angry with Judah. And Judah, after his wife leaves, uh, hits this stage of depression in his life. And he takes off to the north. And on his way, wherever he was going, he, he stops at this place and uh, finds this woman alongside the road who's a prostitute. Well, behind the scenes, you find out that Tamar, who knew he was going, took off and thought, you know what? If he's not going to give me a child the way he promised through his other son, um, I'm going to take things into my own hand. And so she goes and she dresses as a prostitute. And long story short, he sleeps with his uh, widowed daughter-in-law, not knowing it. And he says, well, how can I pay you? He says, I'll I'll send a calf and we'll get it back. She goes, no, but leave me something now so I know as a guarantee. And he leaves his staff and his ring. And then he goes back and he sends uh, payment to her and they can't find her anywhere. Well, then uh, go back uh, to the land where they were and suddenly Tamar's pregnant. And you know what Judah says? Kill her. For she's become pregnant in a wicked way out of wedlock. And then as they're getting ready to burn her, she comes and she says, well, the man who made me pregnant, uh, this staff and this ring are his. Are you tracking with all this? And Tamar suddenly, or Tamar, excuse me, Judah suddenly is just filled with grief. And he says, you're more righteous than I am. And his sin was found out. And you're like, this is the family God chose? Not only is it the family God chose, but when you read the account of Jesus' genealogy, his human genealogy, it comes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob through Judah. And guess who's mentioned next? Tamar. That's the path Jesus took to identify with us. That's, that's God's sovereignty in this plan to fix everything that we messed up. He's going to make sure we know it has nothing to do with our goodness and everything to do with his goodness. Amen? Well, next week when we get back into the story, we'll find out Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. And uh, he gets to Egypt and there's a famine and he's incredibly wise. He's put up second in charge behind Pharaoh. And uh, through through Joseph's good planning and, and business sense and wisdom... Uh, the, the nation is saved from famine and, and Jacob and all of his sons come and there's restoration. And then they live in the land of Egypt for about 400 years where they multiply greatly. And we're going to pick it up there next Sunday. But here's a takeaway for you today, all right? No matter who you are, I could go into detail in each one of these people's lives from the text. From Abraham, from Noah, go back to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, uh, to Judah. And I could show you incredible faults with every one of them. Incredible wickedness where you'd go, what in the world? Like it's not, you've never seen it on a flannel graph. It's not, it's PG-13. It really is. It's wickedness. 
And yet, that's the line God uses to bring salvation. To remind us it's not about our righteousness. It's all about his. Amen? So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God loves you. You bear his image. And his heart for you is to restore you and to use you for his glory. And all it takes is you trusting Jesus Christ, the only one who was ever perfect, yet paid the penalty for sin that you and I deserve to pay. And if you would trust him, all throughout the New Testament, it says he will conform you into his image, make you new, make you clean. And you can be with him forever and experience all that God had originally planned. Amen? So if you haven't trusted him, trust him. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And thanks for um, your wisdom in using people that we really can't point to and say, look how righteous they were. I wish I was like that. Thinking that if only I was like that, that then maybe you would love me. The truth is, Lord, you loved them in spite of their sin, just like you love us in spite of our sin. And no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, there is enough grace on the cross for us to be saved and made new and made clean. Jesus, I pray for anyone who's hearing those words and maybe, maybe they've heard them before, but for some reason something's clicking in their heart and in their mind today. Holy Spirit, would you remind them of the goodness of Jesus, of his love for them, of his sacrificial death on the cross in their place? That they no longer have to walk in shame. They no longer have to walk in their sin. But they can trust you and be made new. Simply by turning to you in faith. Call them to yourself today, I pray. And for the rest of us, encourage us with your grace. That we might walk in light of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name.